You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. That might not know this, Charles, Crystal's husband, is the mayor of Hubbard. And so uh, he does have an influence. And so we love to see leaders and community influencing others. Also want to thank, again, families and friends who have really supported those that have been baptized this morning. Uh, what a blessing that is to see families and community come around and, and for that to happen. Laura, thank you for your commitment and obedience. Jacob, I do believe I dedicated you as a baby a long time ago. And so to see things come full circle, to be able to see families grow up and people follow Jesus is uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. So do this with me. Let's pray and ask the Lord just to touch our hearts today. Father, we want to thank you today for all that you've already done and the things that you've showed us in your word, the thing that you'll continue to teach us. We are so grateful for, and we give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say amen. You know, fortunately for me, I've uh, been only uh, dehydrated uh, where I've been saturated with uh, uh, without water, I mean, not having water, being dehydrated, being in a place that uh, I thought you could be close to death. And that is, that is not a good place to be. It's not a good place to be dehydrated. It's not a good place to be parched or without water. And I'll tell you what, the thing that you want most when you're parched is you want water. You want water as fast as you can get it. It's only happened again a few times. One was at the Dead Sea. Some of you were with us there. We took a trip to Israel. We were in that region, and it just happened to be breaking all kinds of heat records, even in that region. In fact, went in to check the thermometer at one point, and it read 125 degrees. Never been in that kind of heat before. Some also read more than 125 degrees. So you could imagine, I mean, you, you get dehydrated really fast when you're in that kind of heat. I wanted a bottle of water as quick as I could get it. I thought, man, I need to get this. It refreshed me. It revitalized me, but it probably saved my life because that's what water does. Water has the ability to save us, especially when we are dealing with extreme hydration or dehydration in our physical body. I don't know if you know this. Most of you are aware of it, that you can go a month, maybe two months without food. You can do that, but you can only go a few days without water. And especially when it's hot and you're being uh, dehydrated, what you recognize is you need water in just a few hours. Or it could lead to some pretty traumatic uh, physical effects in your life. I mean, if you follow and if you've ever experienced this before, first you're, you're thirsty, uh, then you start feeling a little woozy and you can faint. People have fainted out of heat stroke or have had heat stroke. Uh, you can even come close, and people have, they've come close to death. <clears throat> I think the place that I saw that up close and personal is when I was 18 years old, uh, a group of uh, kids, uh, youth group kids, we took a trip to the Colorado River. We uh, got our inner tubes. We didn't plan the trip very well. We just uh, jumped in our cars, took off to the Colorado River. It happened to be that day when we jumped in the river 118 degrees. 118 degrees with no shade, 118 degrees where you couldn't get under a tree. You're just floating down the Colorado River. I found out something about floating down the Colorado River is the last sound you want to hear is that's your inner tube leaking. And so you have to go blow the inner tube up, get back on the water and keep going. By the end of the day, by the end of the day, 
we were so dehydrated. Uh, in fact, it was in the evening time, we just took our sleeping bags, threw them in the dark right up onto the shore, getting ready to go out the next morning as early as we can to try to beat the heat. If the heat wasn't bad enough, in the middle of the night, uh, I was laying there, and I, and I started feeling this pain, these pains, all, all, like I was getting bit. And sure enough, I was. I jumped up, and I put my sleeping bag over an anthill. That was not good. That was not good. So you're dehydrated. You're getting bit by ants. And, and the next day, we really, we really were in bad shape. We had to run a few people to the hospital because they were so dehydrated. And when you're at that place physically, you, you know, you actually know what that, that feels like. The people that we're going to look at today are spiritually dehydrated. The people that Jesus spends time with, they're confused about who Jesus is. And when they're confused about who Jesus is, they're also confused about who they are. And so I want you to do this with me. Open your Bibles. We're going to continue our series. We want to open our Bibles to John chapter 7. We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John today. John chapter 7. And we're going to talk about what it means to be spiritually encouraged, refreshed by God's Holy Spirit. So today, if you have this bottle of water, you go ahead. Anytime you feel thirsty, you just take a little drink from this bottle. Here's what I want you to do. When you leave today, whether you drink it or not, take it with you. And I'm going to ask that you do this. Do, during the course of the week, put this in a place that reminds you of Jesus being the living water. That you would just set, it, set this somewhere, maybe next to your bed, maybe in the kitchen somewhere, just to have this water remind you of who brings living water. And we know who does that. We know it's Jesus Christ. Literally, in ancient days, and even today, whoever controlled the water source controlled life and death. Water is supreme. Whatever nation or whatever culture, whatever time you live, water is supreme. And in John chapter 7, verses 25 to 53, Jesus uses this highly, this highly relatable and powerful metaphor about water. And he even goes further. He talks to us about living water. Jesus communicates something to us that is still relevant today, that in all different and assorted ways this world wants us to live, and whatever direction the world gives us will never satisfy our soul, that if we're not living according to the things that God has given to us, his word, his spirit, if we're not drinking that living water, then we find that our soul and our spirit become spiritually dehydrated. And the only way that it can be satisfied is through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is in the middle of the crowd. If you're, if you're thinking about what was he up to at this time, he's actually headed to and is present in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles. Very crowded time. We've talked about this before. Whenever there was a festival, the city would swell up to about four times its normal size. This is one of those times. And what it is, is they're celebrating their journey through the wilderness, the journey that Moses took them through the wilderness. So they're all gathered here in Jerusalem. Jesus is right there. He's in the middle of this crowd. People are clamoring. They're looking for a Messiah. They, they want spiritual satisfaction. And all the while, Jesus, the one who brings living water, is standing in the middle of them, right there. The fountain that you would drink from, the place you would get your nourishment from, your spiritual nourishment, is standing in this very crowd. And so Jesus offers those seeking the drink. <laughs> and, and, and it's a drink that will really quench their spiritual thirst. And sadly, the commentary is most people went away thirsty. The Bible tells us in this story 
that they were so confused. They didn't know who was who. They didn't know who Jesus was. And they went away denying Jesus as the Messiah. And I think about my own life. I think about my journey. And I don't want to come to that place. I don't want to be in a place where I turn away from living water. I want to be in a place that I drink all that I can that comes from Jesus. Because I know that's what's going to get me through. That's the only thing that will satisfy me. I love that uh, old commercial, and maybe you, you remember it as well, Obey Your Thirst. Uh, I think what Jesus is inviting people to do is to obey that thirst and follow Jesus Christ. When you read this passage of Scripture, you get to know what Jesus is all about even more. Here's the absolute, absolute truth. If you have ever been thirsty, nothing else matters except to have that thirst quenched by water. When we are spiritually thirsty... Nothing else should matter except being given a drink from the fountain of life, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to look at John chapter 7, verses 25 through 53, and here's, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to slice this scripture up in two parts. We're going to look at two things, one, the people, the other, the promise. Or to say it in another way, thirsty people who have lost their way and are confused, and thirsty people who are called by Jesus Christ. There's always a good ending here. And I'm so thankful that Jesus in this passage of Scripture declares himself to be the living water. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus talks about water. If you go back a few chapters to John chapter 4, if you remember the woman at the well, Jesus has this amazing conversation with her. And when he's done with the conversation, he says to her, if you drink this water, you will thirst again. But if you drink the water that I give you, you will never, ever be thirsty again. So here's how this passage goes, and it begins at verse 25. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a big hunk today of this passage. The reason why is because it's a flowing conversation. And you're going to find that Jesus is engaged with two, three different groups of people. And we want to find out how these people see Jesus, and how does Jesus respond to those thirsty people. And so when you look at verse 25, beginning at 25, we're going to go all the way to verse 52 together. It says this. It says, at the point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this man, aren't, isn't he the one they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. And when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. There's a false narrative there. That is not the truth. But they believe this. And then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, he cried out. He says, yes, you know me. You know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him. He sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? Now, the Pharisees are listening to this. They heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards. They're actually the thugs of the Pharisees to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to go to the one who sent me. You'll look for me, but you will not find me. 
and where I am, you cannot come. And here's what the Jews thought he was talking about. They said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. On the last and the greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and he said this with a loud voice. He said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. Up to this time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, I'm going to pause right there because I want you to see a few things that are going on here in this passage of Scripture. When you read it, you recognize that Jesus is up to some pretty amazing things, but he's spending time with people who aren't quite sure who he is. I don't know if you noticed the first group. Now, there are three groups that Jesus addresses. The first group are those local citizens. It says here the people that are in Jerusalem. We see that in verses 25 to 31. Now, the word on the street in Jerusalem is, hey, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're after Jesus to kill him. Now, if you go back up a few verses in the beginning of this chapter, you find out that Jesus understood that. He knew that. His disciples even said, please don't come. We don't want you to come because they're after you. He goes anyways. And he comes to this place and he's with enemies. He's with people that he knows has, have intentions to, to take his life. So Jesus knows this. So these are citizens that believe this cannot be the Messiah because they're saying no one knows where the Messiah is coming from. Now, in the Old Testament, we do know where the Messiah is coming from. It's clearly stated. Jesus even stated it. How did they draw this conclusion? Well, there was a book written between the Old and New Testament called the Talmud. And the Talmud was not the inspired word of God. It was just written by Jewish religious leaders to, to give more umph, they thought, to the Ten Commandments. So they write in there that we won't know where the Messiah comes from. So right away, we know this is a false narrative. This isn't something that is in Scripture. In fact, this is the opposite of Scripture. So what they falsely believed was actually from the Talmud, another source. Again, not the inspired Word of God. Now, this is false, and it picked up steam as the centuries went by. And I don't know if you've thought about this much. I don't know if you've asked yourself, what, what do I believe? What do I believe about Jesus? What are the traditions that, that maybe I've inherited about Jesus Christ? And do they line up with Scripture? I don't know. That's just a question. I have some young leaders asking me that now. They're talking to me about their upbringing, and they're asking, now, what, what, what is really tradition, and what is really really scripture. I'm uh, spending time with a, a young leader who's in, in Germany, and we FaceTime about every six weeks. He grew up here. He, he was raised in this church, and, and you could hear in his voice, he was wondering about some of the traditions that he, he's taken to be his own, and he doesn't see them practiced in other parts of the world. And so it's a scary time in some ways for him because he's looking at it. 
but he's holding on to the word. He's going right to the word of God, and he's saying, this is the truth. This is what I know. I can stand on this firm foundation. That's what we know about God's word. And we see the local citizens, they're confused. They're confused because of a popular opinion. And I think that, that really serves me well today to look around and, and understand what's going on in culture and what, what are the popular opinions out there. Because we've adopted some. Over time, our, our culture has taken on things we would have never thought we would do. We've gone away from the biblical truth of what it means to see the creation of God, that, that now it's, got a, it's been substituted with a form of science called evolution. We've seen these things go on in our culture, in our society. Why? Because we walked away from the foundation of God's word. And when we do that, something rises up and substitutes itself. It takes its place. That's what happened with these people. They allowed something else to take the place of God's word. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes them by saying, well, you know who I am. You know where I come from. Their response, they wanted to kill Jesus. They were so set on their opinion. They were so set on what they believed. It made them angry to the point they wanted to kill Jesus Christ. That's remarkable that someone could go there. But we, we understand that, I think. We've seen things like this before. I think this is why we never, ever leave the foundation of God's word behind. And I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you to dive in, to study the word of God, to know what God's word says about who you are, about who Jesus is and that relationship that you have with him. Don't stray away from the word. Don't let something else substitute itself for God's word because it's God's word that makes all the difference in the world. See, the Talmud was written so it would fit them. It would fit their Jewish culture. It would fit the things that they liked and dis didn't like. You see, that's not the way God's word works. God's word is what we fit our lives to. It's what we submit to, <clears throat> not the other way around. And whenever we make it the other way around, we will stray. We will be confused like these citizens. And then there's another group that Jesus speaks to. They're the leading critics. It's the second group who lost their way. They were confused. It says this in verses 32 through 36. It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. And then the chief priest and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time. And then I'm going to, to, to be gone. I'm going to the one who sent me. You look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Is he going to go off and be with the other Jews that have gone into the Greek culture, mainly the Decapolis, the places where Greek society thrived? Because there are Jews that did go to those places. We call them Hellenists. They were Jews who adopted a Greek kind of lifestyle. These people are thinking that's exactly what Jesus is doing here, that he's going to go to those places. But he says this. And he said it many times. He said, no, I'm going to go to my father in heaven. You guys aren't hearing me. I keep telling you, I keep repeating it to you, but you're not getting it. And when I study the word, I want to make sure that I repeat it over and over again. 
because I, I know how easily my own ears and heart can deceive me. And so I want to hear the word of God. I want to saturate my life with God's word. So what does Jesus really mean here? What's he saying here? He's saying, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to go be with my father. But I think there's another meaning. If you go a little deeper, there's another meaning to what Jesus was saying. And that's this, that there would come a time where you would look for the Savior and you wouldn't find him. Jesus warns against that. He says, there's going to be a day that you're going to look for the Savior and you're going to miss the very one you rejected. He is the Savior and it's too late. You know, there is, there's such a thing as a passing opportunity. Have you ever had that happen to you where I know I've said it a few times, Annette and I have repeated this a, a couple times living here in Candy. Oh, if we would have only bought that house 10 years ago or 15 years ago, we would have paid what? Some ridiculous price, $80,000, $90,000. Now it's $400,000. And we always say, man, we missed that opportunity. Well, we couldn't afford it anyways, but we'd like to think we could. You know, but we miss that opportunity. I think that I think that a lot of our regrets come because of missed opportunities. That we look back and we say, wow, I had that opportunity or I had this opportunity and I missed it. I missed it. I think that's true in relationships. I think that's why it's always so important to tell those people that you love, you love them. You don't want to miss those opportunities. And here we see the presence of Jesus Christ real. We see the presence of Jesus Christ, something they could touch. He came in the flesh, and it's going to be too late. I think that we need to understand where we might be in our relationship with him. And there might be some people today that are teetering right now. You're wondering, do I make this choice to follow Jesus or not? What do I do? I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2. He says, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You see, the Bible is always instructing us to make a choice today, to make a decision today so it doesn't slip by. I, I can identify with, with, with those that, that are just still wondering, man, do I, do, do I really want to make this decision? Do I really want to follow Jesus? I did that. I wondered. And, and I would make, a, make up things with God. I would say, well, uh, Lord, if you send me this sign, I'll follow you. And, and he would, and I didn't. And that kept happening. And finally, there was a time where I said, I, I need, I must, I need to make a choice to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're hearing this message and you haven't made that choice, please make the choice. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Whatever it takes to follow Jesus, take those steps to follow him. We have local citizens. We have leading critics. And then we have this lingering crowd. Maybe when you're listening to this, some of these people and some of the voices in the crowd might have sounded like you or they might sound like you today. You're still wondering, you're still, you're, you're still struggling with who Jesus is and his salvation for you. Well, this lingering crowd, it, 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 he talks about it. Jesus responds to them and, and has a conversation with them. It says this in verse 40. It says, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is a prophet. Others said, well, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, 
how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not Scripture say the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem and the town where David lived? When you read this, don't you, don't you just want to say, okay, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Why, why do I say that? Because Jesus came from Galilee, but he was born in Bethlehem. They totally overlooked that. They were looking at the information they had, and they were saying, well, he's from Galilee, and the, the, the prophets tell us that no, one, no, no prophet, no one's going to come from Galilee. What they didn't do is they didn't go deeper to find out where Jesus really came from. They didn't give, they didn't give study due diligence here. They didn't look into it. Now, these are a mixed bag of people, people from all over the known world. They're kind of lingering after this festival's ending, and they say he must be a prophet. He must be the Christ, but, but he really couldn't be because he's from Galilee. So three different opinions with what we read here brings division. And people are now dividing amongst each other. And they're, they're saying who they think Jesus is. And, and some of them say, we want to arrest him. We want him killed. We don't want him around anymore. See, the, the thugs for the Pharisees came back empty-handed. And they said to the Pharisees, well, he can't be the one. He's, he's too nice of a guy. And the Pharisees said, has he seduced you too? Do you see all of this colliding? All of this coming in on Jesus. And what happens here is you recognize that if these, these people would have gone a little further and they would have looked in and studied and given it due diligence, they would have known that Jesus came from Bethlehem. They would have known he was a descendant of David. They would have known he was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But they believed what they were going to believe and no one was going to change their mind. No one. Friends, we need to stand firm on God's word so that when we confront or we are confronted with things that would question the deity of Jesus Christ or the person of Jesus Christ, we would know absolutely who he is and why he came. When I read this, these conversations that Jesus has with the crowd isn't too far off from the conversations we hear going on today. They were missing the Messiah. And that's the sad part of this. They, they were unwilling to know the truth to solve the problem. And I just want to say to you, dig deep. Whenever you hear anything, dig deep into God's word. Find out what God's word says to us about who Jesus is. You see, they, they could have easily solved the question if they would have just went five miles down the road to Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. And they kept records. They knew who was born there. They knew where Jesus came from. But they didn't know because they chose not to know. That's the scary part with this. The answer was right in front of them. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the king that everyone will bow to. Every knee will bend to. It's Jesus Christ. And there was a hunger during this time, like there is today. There was a, a, what we would call a messianic hunger. People wanted to be delivered. They wanted to be saved. And they were at a, almost a high-pitched crescendo, yelling, deliver us. Deliver us. We need to be delivered. And so people are clamoring for salvation. They're clamoring for hope because they want a savior. And then you go a little further and you recognize that there's more confusion in the crowd, that people are 
going their own way. They're, they're taking off. They're turning their back on Jesus. And so you come to this place now. And what we recognize is we've heard the confusion of a crowd. But then there's this promise. And Jesus always comes with a promise. I want you to hear this promise. Let anyone who's thirsty come unto me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believe in him were later to receive. This is, set, this is something that is important for us to understand because it was in the middle of this crowd. And if you could have pictured it, if you could have been there, what you would have seen is this great celebration on the last day. It's the seventh day and everyone's gathered in the temple, thousands of people. And to celebrate this, a priest would take a golden vase, a goblet, and he would fill it with water. And it represented the water that was, the, the, the rock that was struck in the wilderness. People would bring their palm branches and their offering that represented their 40 years of wandering. And you know what they did? They walked around that altar seven times. And each time they would walk around, their shouts would get louder and louder. And they would be crying for a Messiah louder and louder. And for dramatic effect, there would be this deafening pause quiet before the priest would answer and in that pause in that place jesus cried out can you imagine that the bible says here and it uses the word carazo which means he screamed to the top of his lungs if anyone is thirsty let him come to me and drink can you imagine the heads that were turned can you imagine the people that were looking at Jesus thinking, what did I just hear? What just happened? What Jesus is doing is he's inviting these thirsty people to take a plunge. He's inviting these thirsty people to come and drink from him. A huge promise he makes. See, thirsty people are called to jump in. They're called to follow Jesus. And if you're thirsty, whether you're here or you're hearing it online, if you're thirsty, let me just say, jump in. Jesus gives us instruction. First, he says, if you're thirsty, so what do you need to do? You need to recognize you're thirsty. And then the second thing he says is he says, come. But it doesn't get real until you do the last thing, the third thing, drink. You see, you have to make this personal. Salvation can't be about what your family knows or what church they go to or what religion they're part of. Jesus always compels us, always invites us to come to have a personal relationship with him. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, put aside all the religion and come to the place of salvation and drink. Because drinking makes it real. We had a party a couple of weeks ago at our house. My, daughter, my granddaughter turned 16 years old, and I think we had... 40 or 50, and most of them were, were kids. And they were running around into the house, grabbing the sodas. And you've experienced this, mom, dad, grandmas, and grandpas. They take a can of soda, they drink it a little bit, they set it down, and they, they leave it. It's just left half full. And I know with my kids and my grandkids, I always say, whose water is this? <laughs> because I, I'm not going to, there's some places I'm not going to go to drink, you know. And the other thing I know about my water is it's, free for all my grandkids they don't care if it's grandpa's they'll come and drink it 
felt, just take it and start drinking it. And then I have to check it out to make sure there's no backwater, no spit. Now I ask, who, who drank out of this? Because this is getting personal right now. This is really getting personal. See, when you drink something, it's personal. You know when you drink something, you own it. You own it. Because if you're drinking right now that bottle of water, you own it. No one else wants that water. It's yours. See, that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, understand you're thirsty. Come to me. Make it personal and drink. Drink and taste and see that I'm good. Listen, what happens here is once we drink it, we enjoy the results. Jesus said that. If you look at that passage of scripture, it becomes something more than just ourselves and just our satisfaction. What happens is when we drink, we're content. We are. We're satisfied. But it doesn't stop there. It goes further, and sometimes we don't read it any further. It says, and now you will have living water flowing out of you. See, that right there is about being a conduit in the communities, in the families, in the society we live, that the living water of Jesus Christ, by the power of his Holy Spirit, would flow through you, would flow through me. Rivers of living water will flow from us. You know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, you know, I'm around you. I'm hanging out with you guys. I've been around you for a while. I see some of you who have a faulty faith. You're not sure who I am. I don't even know if you want to know who I am, is what he's saying. And then there's a firm faith, a place where you come and you know that your faith is secure in Jesus Christ. And you have confidence in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But did you know there's a third kind of faith? It's called a flowing faith. It's a faith that isn't restricted just to you. It's a faith that you share with others. It's a faith that flows from your life to touch other people, to see other people changed. You see, this is the thing that, that I desire. This is the, the reason we do the things we do is so that that living water can flow from us and can touch others and it can change the world, that you're part of that. So if Jesus has, has come into your life, if, if you've called on him for salvation, don't let it stop there. Let the Holy Spirit empower you to pass his life-giving gift on to others in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you bow your head? Father, we want to thank you today for what you've done for us and how you've worked in our lives. And we're so grateful for that living water. We're so grateful that you've brought salvation to us. And now we just pray for that Holy Spirit's strength, that we would be a conduit, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't dam up the water, the living water of Jesus in our own life, but it would be loosed so it would touch others, that it would change others' lives. Lord, we just ask that, that, that you would give us the power and strength to do what you've called us to do, to go to the places you've called us to go. We are thankful for you today. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbyfoursquare.com.